Welcome to today's episode of the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast, where it is an interview that I gave on the Real Estate Investing for Cashflow podcast by Kevin Bo. We discussed healthcare real estate, why it is attractive, and what investors need to know before entering in the asset class. We touch on sale leasebacks, some pandemic effects, and a general overview of the industry. I really appreciate Kevin for thinking of me for this interview. This is the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast, the podcast that brings together leaders in healthcare and investment real estate to consider the possibilities in future at the intersection of practicing medicine and healthcare real estate investment returns. Welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. I am your host, Trisha Talbot. As a healthcare real estate advisor to providers and investors, the best solutions occur when the two collaborate together as partners in delivering better patient care. Providers can deliver care to their patients when and where they need it, and investors realize the returns to build and manage facilities. We explore changes in medicine and wellness, the future of healthcare, and using real estate as a strategic and financial tool. Now, our guest for this week's show is a real estate and healthcare expert, Tricia Talbot. Now, Tricia is a healthcare real estate advisor to both providers and investors alike. She specializes in healthcare real estate investments, advising her clients throughout the sales process with comprehensive strategies on pricing, market fluctuations, and solutions to close the transaction. She helps healthcare provider clients in establishing real estate portfolio strategies aligned with their corporate goals. Together with her team, Landlords benefit through stabilizing their property with leasing, then monetizing their asset. And so, guys, with that, it's my honor to welcome our guest for today's show, Trisha Talbot. Trisha, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, thank you. Yeah, thanks for thanks for joining us here on the show, and excited to have you here, and excited to learn more about you and your business. So maybe maybe if you would uh, take a few minutes, tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself, and you know, fill in uh, some of the gaps of my brief introduction there. Uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself, exactly what it is you you do, but maybe back up even before that, and tell us how you ultimately found your way into the healthcare arena. Sure. Well, I uh, I started my career in house at a developer that did only healthcare, real estate, um, medical office buildings. And so uh, I cut my teeth there in the in-house um, department that did, uh, they, so they would develop them and lease them up. And then um, they held them for some point, point of time, but then ultimately sold them. So I was part of the, the leasing effort there. So I, I really learned a lot about the asset class really from the ground up, starting in leasing and then moving into sales. And then um, you know, now I can do pretty much any deal that uh, has to do with uh, my focus and in, in healthcare real estate and advise my clients based on uh, the rent roll, the type of tenants that are in there, the capital improvements that would be made, and, you know, whether or not it looks like a, a good investment going in based on their exit strategy. Okay. And how long did you work with that development firm before you decided to go out on your own? I was there for two years and then I went um, and had went to third-party brokerage and I've been there now mm -hmm. for, I'm going on 20 years total-ish. So, um, so I've been doing it for quite some time. Yeah. So was there, was there a catalyst that ultimately, you know, pushed you into healthcare real estate when you, you know, found your ground grounding there at that, uh, with that development group, or was it just, uh, you know, by default, you ended up there and you ended up loving healthcare real estate? Well, I, you know, I, getting into commercial real estate, I bounced around a little bit, you know, just trying okay. to, to figure out where exactly I wanted to land. And then I got the opportunity to work um, in this, uh, at this one company. And I, I really um, just enjoyed, I enjoyed 
working with uh, the physicians and different healthcare companies. You know, it's a very mission critical, demand driven type of asset class. People need to be there um, right now. It's one of the most resilient uh, coming out of the pandemic, uh, just because doctors need a place to perform procedures and to see patients and telemedicine. I think it's great. I think it's a great tool and it will be a great tool. And I can't wait to see how that um, integrates into healthcare practices. But other than having a couple of telemedicine rooms being built, I'm not sure that it's going to dramatically change the landscape of Mm -hmm. going to see your doctor and just because you can't have surgeries virtually. So, um, so I do like that there is some, there's some purpose behind it. And, you know, in general, it, it, I think it serves the greater good, um, on a, on a really high level. And the fact that, you know, I, I really do help, um, you know, provide healthcare services to, to, uh, a specific community that they, that is needed. Mm-hmm. You know, speaking to the uh, you know the pandemic, the resiliency of that asset class. Was, was there any period of time? You know, I know that a lot of a lot of elective surgeries were were canceled and and you know basically put off for sometimes uh, you know many months, sometimes some areas you know maybe even close to a year. Were, was there any part of the industry that was ultimately impacted, or was it was it more of a short term little blip before things you know got back on track? Well, I think looking back now with, uh, you know, 2020 vision, it was a short term blip that, Mm -hmm. you know, luckily a lot of the tenants did qualify for a PPP loan. Mm -hmm. Um, So they were able to get through it. And a lot of the landlords really helped educate their tenants on doing that in order to make the payments. Uh, A lot of landlords did, you know, what they would do is say, you know, we'll, we'll give you three months abatement and then we'll, you know, increase your lease term by X amount, depending on the landlord. So, you know, basically they, it just got, it was deferred, um, income for the landlord, but then the landlord ultimately could build value by renegotiating, um, some of the, the lease terms to even longer than, you know, three months, um, depending on the landlord. So, you know, there were those opportunities. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, if you're, if you own a building and most likely you have debt on it, you know, you still have a, a debt payment that, that had to be made. And I, um, I think for some that didn't, you know, they don't have a lot of operating capital for some of these unfor- unforeseen events. I think there was, there was definitely some panic. Um, mm-hmm. My phone rang a lot um, <laughs> as to... <laughs> Um, some things I had, I had deals, um, being transacted that either went away and, and did eventually they all did come back, but, um, they went away for a little bit or went on, on pause while everyone took a deep breath to figure out what was happening. But ultimately the physicians, um, you know, their, their lack of income during those months was, I, I, that was a source of panic as well. And I got some calls on that side as, um, a little bit just as to, you know, what can they do? Um, some advice on that side, um, as well. So I think going, seeing it now, luckily, you know, where I'm at in Arizona and and for what I heard from various other parts of the country, it was probably about a six week break in elective surgeries. Um, and then, and then things started, ramping back up again. So it did bounce back and looking at it now, it, it was a small blip, but at, t- at mm-hmm. the time going through it, it was a very long six to eight weeks um, <laughs> where, you know, people didn't know what was happening. So I think uh, 
but now it is, uh, you know, the, the landlords are all thriving. Everyone, most of the ones that I've talked to, the te- all the tenants have recovered and they're getting rent payments on time, mm-hmm. you know, and, and a lot of them, like I said, did receive some of the PPP. So, so everything is, is doing really well at, at this time. Was there any adjustments in pricing? I mean, more so temporarily, but was there any adjustments in, in pricing to where you saw cap rates, you know, rise for a period of time during COVID when there was a lot of uncertainty? Again, I guess, you know, speaking to those transactions that actually did occur, that actually went through during, I guess you could say the year of 2020. Yeah. I mean, um, there was, so one transaction came back just as it was no price adjustment, just re-engaged. Uh, one, there was, um, <laughs> the, uh, a tenant asked for a rent abatement, like 20 at the 11th hour right before closing. So that was an interesting oh couple of, uh, <laughs> 12 hours, uh, where ultimately there was a little bit more of, um, you know, uh, the, the investor buying it asked for some coverage of the rent for a couple of they he'd already done it for about a month and I think asked for another month. So there, there was that sort of negotiation. Um, I will tell you that right now cap rates for medical office buildings are incredibly aggressive and incredibly low. If you have a decent medical building five years or more left on a weighted average lease term, it is sub sixes in Arizona, sub fives and fours in California. I mean, it's the, the cap rates for medical office just because people are looking to place their money in a resilient asset class that is unlikely to fluctuate. And, and a lot of my um, advice while it was happening, you know, at the time we thought it was going to be a quarter or two of of COVID, you know, we thought it was going to recover. And then as we got into the summer, we were all, I think, starting to hunker down for about a year of um, getting out of it or, or seeing some, some light at the end of the tunnel. But what I kept saying is, Hey, you know what, these, these ask these, this cash flow is 10 years. I mean, let's say worst case scenario, we're in this God forbid for three years. Um, you know, you still have, there's seven years of cash flow after yeah. that. So, you know, with medical office, I, I knew it would bounce back. Um, and you know, I thought it, so going into the summer, I was like, Hey, you know what? I think everyone's just going to be buckling down for this year, but if you're looking to invest and it has 10 years of cash flow and it's strong tenants that aren't going to go under, you're, you're looking, you're playing the long game. So, mm-hmm. so this COVID, even if it lasts for a year, year and a half too, you will weather the storm. Sure, sure. Does you know, given, given that you know these medical assets are trading at just uh, uh, incredibly low cap rates, um, I, I feel like that that that's kind of the, the story for the majority of uh, commercial assets post COVID. I mean, there's just so much liquidity flowing through the marketplace, and and people want security for that liquidity. And you know, given you know, you know, the healthcare field, I mean, is an incredibly secure place to, to put your capital. Um, same, same with like housing, right? Things, things that are absolutely required, right? We, we need to have mm-hmm. a roof over our head. With that being said, is that, is that a catalyst for, you know, single tenant, uh, single tenant, uh, you know, call it, you know, physician owned uh, properties to consider a sale leaseback type strategy, given that the 
you know, the prices are so high, cap rates are so low that they could find themselves in a incredible liquidity event. Um, is that, is, does that create a callus or no? Am I, am I just making this up? <laughs> no, no, you're right. Yeah. No, I've, I've done several sale leasebacks okay. um, in the course of the past year. As I said, I had um, one, two actually during, um, during uh, the whole COVID, when the COVID initially, everything started to close, I, I had two, and then I've had um, a few since then as well. And that is the thing. I mean, right now, when if you're a healthcare practice and you've got several sites and you want to monetize those assets, I mean, in a sale leaseback transaction, and you've got you know at least ten years, if not more. Um, some some investors do want fifteen years, but you know, if you've got, if, if you've got real estate and you're like, Hey, I want to cash out now and, and just have, um, and pay rent for the next 10 years and, and get that equity out right, right now, it, it is the time to do it. Is that a service that you offer, you know, uh, you, you know, connecting investors with physicians that might be a prime candidate for a sale leaseback strategy. I mean, you've got the, you know, liquidity on the one side and the, you know, the, the, the party that wants to play ball, i.e. the physician with the, you know, with the property on the other side, is that, is that a service that you offer connecting those two together? Those, those opportunities don't even get on the market. So I, yeah, I, I get them I from the physician and I've got, I've got a handful of investors that I know love those and yep. they perform and they, uh, they, they get it, it goes really quickly. <laughs> sure, I bet. I bet. What what is the what are some of the cap rates that they trade out here over the last couple of ones that you've done here over the I guess over the last year year and a half or so? Are they sell leap at it's least in the sixes back. in the six range? Yeah, got it. So it's a great so annuity. Yeah, those, they they <laughs> they go fast and they're they're it's it's strong cash flow. Obviously, the tenants. Uh, so you know, if you are um, if a healthcare company is looking to do that, I mean, there are it's not. There is some skin in the game. You have to sign typically a personal guarantee for the lease because obviously the the cash flow needs to be guaranteed. Um, and you you do need to sign at least a ten year, if not fifteen, but mostly um, ten years. So so those are the two things. It's not you know the investors aren't just going to say, hey, you're, you know you're a healthcare company and I'm going to buy your you know buy you out. There's there there are some strings attached that everyone needs to be aware of and not be surprised. Got it. There was an episode you did, I think it was episode 27. And um, I don't recall the gentleman that you interviewed, but the the title of that episode was Happily Investing in Hairy Healthcare Properties. And it caught my <laughs> attention. So, you know, I think when a lot of folks think of healthcare properties, I think they're probably fairly straightforward, stabilized uh, type of investments. Um However, that doesn't seem to be the case based on the title of that episode. So speak to me about maybe some of the topics you covered in that episode, that particular in, in, individual you interviewed. Again, I didn't listen to it, but I, I kind of looked through the, the show notes and it seemed yeah. like his specialty was you know, going after those value add, uh, maybe heavier lift type of healthcare projects. Give me an example of what some of those might look like. Yeah, you know, obviously there's different investors and there's different things that different investors look for. Publicly traded REITs, they need what I would say um, are I quote unquote cleaner properties in, in the sense that uh, they have to pay dividends to their um, shareholders. So they're really looking for core plus cash flowing properties where they don't have to come in and do a lot of work to either lease it up or, mm-hmm. um, you know, really do any capital improvements to the physical property. And then, you know, they go along the spectrum from that to um, 
to like the one you're talking about, which is a private investor. So he doesn't have a board he has to present to. It's his company. And then he has some business partners. So they they can get in and get a property that um, you know has some vacancy, maybe has some tenants that might be rolling, that they need to negotiate some leases. Maybe the building isn't operating as efficiently as possible. And there's some opportunity and operating expenses to mm-hmm. get those um, under control and uh, really efficient and lower than what they are. You know, there is some there is some inefficiency in how some buildings are run versus others, um, based on a variety of things. Um, but he can go in and and look at some of these, um, put in some. You know, if it needs, for example, if it needs the building needs to be painted or the parking lot needs to be um, has needs some maintenance or a couple HVAC units need to be replaced. And then there's a little bit of vacancy. He can go in and really add, you know, he can buy it at a little, you know, off the market price. So that it, so, you know, hundred percent leased is the best building. Now that demands low cap rates, high market prices, and then he can buy it for under the market rate because, you know, there are some, there's some things that need to be done to the property and that's why it's called value add. So he can add the value sure. and then he sells it for more than what he bought it. Plus, um, you know, so his cost basis plus what he put into it to get it to a certain amount. And that's, and then typically you can sell it for more. Mm -hmm. Is there opportunity nowadays um, in in converting, uh, you know, call it retail assets or even maybe even office assets into healthcare type of properties? I think, you know, it seems that if you live anywhere uh, you know, throughout America, it's, you, most folks have probably seen the trend over the last, I guess, decade or two of you know things such as uh, office practice or um, uh, healthcare practices or dental practices ending up in retail centers. Whereas you know two decades ago, that just wasn't really the case. Um, so I'm assuming there could be opportunities there of of finding a you know, retail center that might not be operating efficiently, might have some vacancies and converting either a portion or the entirety of it into a healthcare type of uh, project or even that of, of office. You know, I, I feel office, if you'd asked me eight months ago, what office, how that was going to, you know, was it going to be resilient here after this pandemic, you know, post COVID world? Uh, I don't, I'm not sure we're there yet to, to truly understand exactly what the long-term effects are of the pandemic and how it affects, you know, traditional office spaces. Um, but, but I think that, of all these sectors, uh, aside from hospitality, office is probably the one that, you know, looking at like the leasing side, it's probably got more vacancies and majority of markets than that of other asset types. Is there an opportunity there with, with, you know, any distressed assets to, again, convert from its current use to a healthcare type of use? Is that, is that a commonality? So, Retail is, I think, easier than um, office, and okay. and I've done an adaptive reuse um, as long as there's parking. So um, I did an adaptive reuse of a Walmart had started kind of a more of a neighborhood market concept that did, didn't succeed. So they they mm-hmm. uh, did a huge disposition of a ton of assets nationwide, and there was one that uh, one of my clients liked because they could go in um, and they had some back office plus a clinic and and then they had some space to lease. So uh, so we did an adaptive reuse of the retail and it had excellent parking because Walmart, as you know, always has great parking. Sure. So that that did and I do see because retail, you know, uh clinics are and healthcare companies, they're really they 
are looking to make it as easy as possible and have uh, for their patients to see them and have visibility. So I do see that retail will, um, that medical practices will take advantage of some retail properties office. It, Office, it, it, it really depends. So it depends on the age of the office building. It depends on if the office building has separately metered um, electric. It depends. If the, I mean, typically the parking will be a little bit less, but the biggest thing with them converting office to medical is that it has to be bought right because mm-hmm. the plumbing requirements of going in and putting sinks and exam rooms, I mean, they basically have to, you'll be able to keep like the, maybe the, um, in an office building, you'd be able to keep some common area hallways and bathrooms. And then all the spaces inside would be completely gutted and have to be um, built out for medical office, which is, which is a high TI cost. So if, if yeah. an investor is looking at, if someone currently has an office building and they're looking to convert it to medical, they just have to make sure that they're capitalized. Right. And then if um, an investor is looking to buy an office building and convert it, they, they have to buy the property and underwrite it really well so that they understand the the cost of additional investment that's going to be required in order to convert it. Got it. Got it. No, I appreciate that. And I had another question regarding these, the Harry properties, right? The value add properties I forgot to ask. And so I'm I'm, going to back up a little bit. Yeah. What would you say are the more common mistakes um, of of how a property ultimately ends up in that that whether it be a that can, you know, poor condition or just a you know, some, maybe some vacancies or basically it has not been managed appropriately. Okay, let's just keep it simple. It has not been yeah. managed appropriately by its current owner. What are some of the more common mistakes that those owners make that that ultimately don't find success, or maybe they had success at one point and ultimately it's it's gone the opposite direction to where there's, there's opportunity for a new, you know, new life to step in and, 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 you know, breathe new life into that, that asset. But what did the, what were the main mistakes that that prior owner made? So there's a couple of things. Um, a lot of what I see is, um, you know, investors, they start hearing, oh, medical office, it gives great returns. Medical office has long-term leases and they're, all they do is say, okay, I want to get into medical office without really understanding what it takes, where, the lease rates need to be, how you need to manage it from an operating expense standpoint, mm-hmm. as well as um, you know, really understanding the property before you buy, understanding the tenants, knowing, uh, you know, reviewing tenant financials during the due diligence process, making sure they're they're they've got really strong uh, financials that they're going to be able to make that rent payment along with all the other financial obligations that they may have. Um, so, so I see that landlords get in, um, for example, if an office landlord's like, Hey, you know, I want to go or an office investor says, hey, you know, I want to start getting into medical office and they've never owned a medical office property before. Um, I, I think they get in saying, Hey, I'm only going to spend 10, 15 bucks on each space in order to improve it. When I do, when I, you know, leap up to other, to uh, other tenants. And that is the biggest mistake because typically, on the second gen, even second generation medical office building, especially right now with construction costs, your your starting point yeah. is fifty bucks a square foot in tenant mm-hmm. improvements. Um, now the tenants that do have higher specialized TIs, they do participate and stuff like that. But then you know they get into where they can't fund TIs, therefore they can't make these lease deals, so they don't have tenants paying the rent, and they're you know and then they for maintenance on the building and it just sort of dominoes from there. Yeah. Spirals downhill from there. Now that, that makes sense. You know, 
most most folks always like to talk about their you know they highlight the uh, the you know the, the the biggest transactions the most profitable transactions that they've done right and so I always like to take the opposite approach. I'm going to ask you if you wouldn't mind sharing details on maybe the most challenging deal that you've been involved in. You know what were the challenges? Um, what did you do to overcome them? And then ultimately, what would have been done differently? You know, given the opportunity to to do it again, and it could be from the transactional standpoint. It can be working with a you know, a client on a development project. It can be any aspect of your business, any of the services you offer, but please share some details and lessons learned of the most challenging deal that you've been involved in. Yeah, and, and um, you know, I can kind of aggregate a, a couple because they kind of have the same theme. But um, so, you know, also in the in the same thing, you know, physicians are always looking for passive income as they should. You know, they work really hard and um, reimbursements are always being challenged to, um, you know, and getting less and less. And so they're, and then, you know, they're working all day and seeing patients every 15 to 20 minutes or in procedures. And, and so, you know, they're really looking for some passive investments. And one of the things they like to do is say, Hey, you know, I need to be in this market. I'm going to get a couple of my buddies. We're going to develop a building and then we'll become our own tenants and we'll own our, we won't have to, you know, we'll be our, our own landlords. Um, and I, if I might, the first question I ask um, when someone's going into it, one of these physicians are going into it, you know, do you have, do you practice medicine actively right now? Because if you still do, owning your piece of real estate is a completely separate and additional second job that you're going to have to take on, mm-hmm. or you're going to have to hire people, um, which is, I strongly recommend because they can be doing you know, like a property manager can be calling and, and getting uh, quotes from vendors all day and, and then just present them with, you know, some options. So if they talk to me going in, I, I really try to advise them on what is the best way to the, to own the property and then all the costs involved and underwrite it so that they can see what exactly that means from a financial standpoint. Typically um, on selling it, um, I get it when... Uh, like some in these sale leaseback situations where the physician, so they'll, you know, sometimes there's, let's say, you know, three to five partners, but one of the physicians is kind of the guy that raises or gal that raises his or her hand and says, Hey, you know, I'm going to manage this pretty much from a day-to-day perspective. And, you know, they might have a handyman or, and they have a a list of vendors and stuff like that. But by the time um, they talk to me, they're like, you know what, I want to free up some of my time and I don't, I no longer want to manage this property and be a landlord. I just want to be a tenant. I want to pay rent and do that. So, in, and some are more sophisticated real estate owners than others. And, and I get, I get the gambit, but some of, some of the really big things is, you know, operating expenses. Nobody wants to talk about them. They're not sexy. They're, they're <laughs> kind of, they're not interesting. No one wants to talk about how much it costs to maintain an HVAC system. But I will tell you that there is, um, operating expenses can kill you or they can really add value to your building if you can manage them properly. And a lot of these physicians, they just, you know, they pay their, they send the, these invoices and they just pay them, of course. But um, when you really get underneath it, you know, there's a, there's a whole different, there's a whole lot of ways that you can pay operating expenses. And some of them d- don't know, like they don't know if it's a triple net or if it's modified gross on a base mm-hmm. year, you know, there's all of this stuff going on. And, you know, you really have to get in and dive into the financials of the building and financials of the tenant and sometimes, and then they're mixed together. So, um, you know, 
when I working with uh, to taking a physician owned property to market really does take it takes some time to sort through and make sure that you understand everything about the property, how it operates, um, and even make suggestions on how to improve it before you take it to market so that they get the highest value. And um, you're usually doing what's challenging is, is you're usually doing that in the morning while they're on the way to clinic or, you know, in in the evening when they're on their way home, or sometimes in the middle of a, you know, well, they have a break between a patient. So you have to talk really fast. You have to really succinct information. (laughs) You have to have decision points ready for them to go to say yes or no. And, you know, and so, so that is kind of the challenging part with that. Yeah. Very interesting. I I can imagine, I can imagine. (laughs) So (laughs) yeah, you, you, you obviously are an expert at handling a multitude of different personalities, especially ones that are incredibly busy and, uh, uh, you know, their, their time is uh, highly demanded. So absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And when they're like, Oh, I have to go and, you know, see a patient. I'm like, please, please get off the phone with me and go. Yeah. (laughs) You can call me back. My wife is, my wife is in uh, medical software sales. So she ultimately deals with physicians on a regular basis. And I, and I hear the stories, uh, you know, firsthand. So I I understand quite well. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, fantastic. You know, I, I enjoy working with them. I really like, those are the ones like, I mean, I've had higher price transactions, but if you're asking the ones that I, I get the most, um, that I feel best, it's when I can really help. Like if a physician group, physician group comes to me and they're exasperated, um, with an asset or they're just like, Hey, you know, we, as a group have decided we've got a couple of people doing a couple of different things and we really want to monetize this asset. I mean, yep. those are the ones that are incredibly rewarding. Cause I, I do feel like I help, I really help them. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, absolutely. Well, Trisha, I, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate you coming on here and, uh, and, and sharing, you know, insights as to your business, the services that you offer. Um, what is the best way for our folks to learn more about you, the services that you offer, you know, to find you and, and all the, all the above. We'd l- we'll definitely put this in the show notes as well, but where can we find you? Absolutely. So I have the, my company website, www.docproperties.com. And then my email is ttalbot at docproperties.com. And then my podcast, if anyone wants to take a look at, um, you know, some of those episodes, some are, you know, really from a lot of people, either investors, uh, lessons learned or physician owners, lessons learned, and that's mm-hmm. at providerspropertiesandperformance.com. Uh, so there's a lot of great stories on there. And I, I love interviewing people from both sides of that aisle. And, and uh, it does provide a lot of information if anyone's looking to invest in healthcare real estate. Yeah, I quickly, I listened to a few of them. I didn't listen to the Harry property ones. I'm going to after the show, but I didn't, <laughs> I didn't recognize it until we are about to jump on here. But uh, you do, you do a great job and definitely a lot of uh, uh, very insightful topics that you cover um, you know, from both sides of the table. Again, a lot of our listeners are, are investors and so, but folks, I mean, even if you don't have an interest uh, or you're not currently invested maybe in medical, in the medical office space, uh, I think that you could definitely garner some some very uh, you know, positive insights from the you know different shows and the interviews that that Trisha has done. So you, you do a great job. So keep up the good thank work, you. Trisha, and thank you for joining thank us here you. today. And uh, that's all we have. So thanks, and uh, wishing you all the best in this post-COVID world that we find ourselves in, and uh, and wishing you continued resiliency in the in the healthcare <laughs> field. And uh, I hope you out you know, keep crushing it out there. Likewise, it's great to meet you. Thank you. All right, guys, that's all we have for this week's show. And so until we meet again next week, this is your host, Kevin Bupp, wishing you huge success. You guys take care. I'm grateful for you tuning in to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast with others. 
As a disclaimer, this podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only and not intended for specific real estate investment advice.